episode nine of season two as we continue our conversations with COVID creators, people who for one reason or another got into creating something. And our guest today created something new for him, uh, Matt Lunn. But, uh, but, and, and unfortunately we had a technical difficulty and Darrell was not able to join us for the interview, but Darrell, I understand that you have an interest in um, a Bandmaster Battle Royale, which might uh, involve Matt Lund. Yeah, I think it'd be pretty interesting to get these guys in the squared circle. Uh, and, and the, these are and the Salvation Army Bandmasters that you're talking about? <laughs> Absolutely. The core Bandmasters, the divisional Bandmasters, anyone who can lift a horn needs to be in the ring. <laughs> Well, anybody who can lift the lift a horn is not necessarily a bandmaster. Anybody who can lift the baton, uh, you know, could be. Did you have Matt uh, matched up against somebody specific? And if you don't know Matt, he is not a small person. Um, I would say he probably stands about six four. Uh, am I overstating that? Maybe six two. Yeah, I think I think six four is fair. He's a tall guy. Yeah, he's a big guy. I think in the first round matchup, that that really determines his odds in making it out. Because uh, you put him up against a, a a big puncher or somebody wily like Roe Whittington, it could get ugly for him. Roe Whittington, the the longtime Boston Central bandmaster, uh, and and then the uh, Boston Croc bandmaster. Yeah, you you just don't know what's coming out of uh, coming out of the boot with Roe. Absolutely, figuratively and literally. <laughs> <laughs> well, we had a good conversation about um, how Matt was sort of thrust, and, and he revealed that he kind of thrust himself into this position of becoming a producer of virtual worship services for the Massachusetts Division. He is the Divisional Music Director, uh, but he felt strongly, and, and he even got into some background that, had, that, that far predated COVID in terms of his interest in sharing Salvation Army worship um, in a way that, that people could access it if they were not inside our buildings. So uh, we talked about the, the sort of origin of the idea and then how COVID uh, forced him to learn some brand new skills uh, that he had never used before with regard to shooting video, editing video, um, and really becoming a, a, a producer. He, he revealed when he started, he thought it might be like three weeks or so, um, and it ended up being a much longer period than that. So it was a, a great conversation with Matt. Absolutely, I'm sure it was. And also just wanted to, to touch on, because it's timely, uh, Juneteenth became a federal holiday. I feel like Juneteenth was not in conversation it, certainly in the mainstream, maybe until last year at, at this time, um, and, and now the Biden-Harris administration have made it a federal holiday. I think that's going to be received uh, uniquely and uh, differently by people. Um, it's one of those holidays kind of, you know, where uh, for such a long period of time, it's been recognized and celebrated by, um, by groups, mainly the African-American community. But here it's now getting its um, main stage, for lack of a better phraseology, um, appeal to the greater and wider audience of the United States. And, and I hope that it's an opportunity for people not to become embittered about who made it a law, but rather take it as an opportunity to understand the history of the day. 
Absolutely, and and we've just come by the anniversary of the the Tulsa race riots, um, and really it's more the Tulsa race massacre. Um, and, and I know there was a lot more conversation this year than I can ever remember before. And hopefully uh, this decision sparks some, some important discussion uh, about Juneteenth. Absolutely. And, and I think that that starts, you know, we have opportunities to do that at home as well, to be able to ensure that our children have um, an accurate perception of the, the history of the country in which they live. Well, let's jump into our conversation with Big Matt Lowe. Welcome to episode nine of the Creator Podcast. We are excited to have Matt Lund with us as our guest today. We unfortunately do not have co-host Darrell due to some technical difficulties, but uh, let's just jump right in. Matt, what is your role and what did it entail prior to 2020? Uh, first of all, thanks for asking me to be here. Uh, I'm the divisional music director for the Salvation Army uh, Massachusetts Division. And before COVID, uh, it's my job to oversee the music programs for the Salvation Army Massachusetts, whether that's helping uh, individual church programs uh, and managing statewide programs and overseeing kind of summer music activities. Uh, it's kind of everything you can think of music related. And nuts and bolts, that's music camp and conservatory in the summertime, which is about three weeks of, of actual campers on camp, but a whole lot more in terms of preparation uh, for that. Um, and and a, a typical day, you would be driving around to different, uh, different Salvation Army locations and doing some virtual lessons prior to, to COVID? Yeah, I think prior to COVID, if you're talking, you know, a regular Monday through Friday week, say in October, um, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, you're probably working from, you know, noon to four o'clock in the office, and then you're heading out to a different Salvation Army location where uh, you're teaching brass lessons, vocal lessons, piano lessons, really kind of each location has a different set of kids and their interests, and uh, I think one of the unique things about the music director role in the Salvation Army is that it's kind of a, uh, you need to be a jack of all trades. And it's good if you're a master of one or some, but you really need to do a whole lot. Um, so yeah, Mondays and Fridays you're preparing for events or you're debriefing or you're in the office making photocopies and preparing for the week. But, you know, midweek you're uh, driving all over the state uh, doing different lessons and rehearsing with groups and stuff. Absolutely. So there's a, a saying in the Salvation Army, the need is the call. Uh, usually that has to do with officership, but in your particular uh, case, I wanted to get into how did you come to be called upon to create virtual worship services for the Massachusetts Division being the music director? Like, how, how did that come down? Well, uh, it's kind of of my own doing, uh, because in this instance, I was never actually asked to do this. Uh, at the beginning of COVID, you know, uh, I kind of like to think I was one of the people on the front side of maybe how serious it could have been. And, uh, meaning you understood pretty quickly how serious it could be. Yeah. I think the side story to that is my wife, Heather and I, uh, had just found out recently that we were pregnant and the kind of, that was maybe in February, 2020. And the conversation, the early conversations we were having with our uh, her doctor, 
was that uh, they had never seen anything like this. This is going to get really bad. And so in a weird way, I kind of had some inside information to uh, something was coming that maybe we hadn't experienced yet. When it relates back to online worship, uh, it was one of those things where, you know, I knew that if you look at our society, uh, when things go awry, when things go bad, what often or most often is the thing to get cut. It's, uh, it's music and arts programs. So I had it on my mind that, you know, in order to survive, you've got to find something else to do or be useful. And uh, it was kind of in my head that if churches were going to be shut down, or if we weren't going to be able to meet, then an alternative needed to be available. Now, at the time, like I thought, oh, maybe this is going to be three weeks, you know, four weeks. Right. Uh, you never anticipated that it would have, it would have been a, a year, you know, plus. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so what was your uh, previous experience with shooting and editing video prior to all of this? Um, I want to say close to zero. <laughs> uh, a little known story in, in high school, I had a, an amazing group of friends. And at the time, we were failing our like advanced chemistry class. And there, our teacher uh, offered this opportunity. If you wanted to make a video for extra credit, you could. And of course, me and my friends like took this so seriously. And at the time, like our friend had one of the first like video cameras that were like a USB cord plugged right. into like my dad's office computer on Windows Movie Maker. And we turned like this extra credit assignment into like an hour and 20 minute long like feature film <laughs> that like incorporated Star Wars and and sports. And, I mean, it was just ridiculous. Uh, leading up into COVID, though, you know, I think a couple times I had been asked to take pictures maybe at youth councils or something. And it was one of those where if anyone was even remotely in motion, the pictures came back blurry. And uh, so I had no... You know, I put together some video slideshows and stuff, but never, never like production or lighting or editing or, I mean, a very, very low <laughs> experience. And so you went from that, that uh, low level of experience to producing uh, a, a video worship service, right? So it wasn't, wasn't live. You didn't have to worry about the live streaming component to it. But your goal was to create a, about a, an hour long video worship service and release it weekly so that people could watch it in their homes um, when when COVID was first uh, getting started. Um, so, and and I I really wanted to ask that question because anybody who has seen the videos, and we'll put some links in uh, in the show notes uh, so that people who haven't seen your work uh, can see the quality that that you put out. And so you said you had a little bit of a leg up that you were thinking about it prior to, you know, Rudy Gobert, uh, you know, getting COVID. And I, I feel like that's like the official moment sure. when everybody really understood, yeah. oh my gosh, the NBA is canceling games. Um, so you've been thinking about it for a couple of weeks, but then you were able to, to get into motion. Um, can you talk about the, the quality that you were, that you were shooting for? Because a lot of people in your situation would have said to themselves, anything is better than nothing. And so I'm happy to put out whatever I can put out. Uh, but I know from talking to you about this that the quality thing was important to you. So, so take us through that. Yeah, and just even going back a little bit to the idea, you know, I remember, so I'm a, I'm a brass player. 
And every time Easter rolls around, uh, brass players are hired, you know, in every major city to come play at churches. And so usually Easter was the one day of the year that I would never attend a Salvation Army service. So I would get paid to do these brass gigs in big churches and stuff like that. And usually you're, you know, you're doing the early service and you're home by, you know, 9 a.m. or whatever. And I remember this was maybe three years ago. I came home, I turned on the TV and, you know, some large church in New York City was having their Easter service, like telecast, and it was on NBC. And I remember thinking, like, <clears throat> this, is, this is amazing. I mean, the hymns, the, the music, the preaching, the, the full church, like this was, <clears throat> excuse me, this was, uh, you know, getting the word out in a very modern, relevant way. And uh, when it comes to the Salvation Army, maybe after I saw that video, Annually, we have divisional music director meetings, and I remember bringing up in a, a conference one day, you know, the Salvation Army, at least in the Eastern Territory, like we have, uh, you know, tremendous resources with uh, the New York Staff Band, with Unbound, with talented preachers, you know, at territorial headquarters. Uh, I remember bringing up at the time, why can't we put our stamp on producing something? Because we, ha we have the talent, we have the ability um, we can we should put something out there because how often do you hear with the Salvation Army uh, with people on the street like who are we what do we do and the answers that come back are uh, thrift store uh, you know soup kitchen homeless shelter there's not a lot of people that the first answer says you know we're a church and so I think it had been in my mind for a long time like how can we better put out our message of who we are and why we want people to know who we are um, so when we started producing these worship services, yeah, my experience was so low. I remember the very first week that we were producing videos. So Captain Steve Warren, uh, an officer here in the Massachusetts division, he's, he's my right hand man through all of this. And I literally remember we went out to, uh, Best Buy and like bought a $30 like plastic tripod, you know, that broke the second time we used it. <laughs> but I remember we set up the camera for that very first week and I said to Steve, like, I'm not sure how to make this thing autofocus. So, <laughs> I mean, you're talking about, we were like on, on ground floor and uh, it just kind of, one thing led to another and a different piece of information led to new information and you're kind of just chasing this idea of how far can we push it with the resources that we have? Not necessarily, you know, more than what we have, but with what we have, with who we have, how far can you push it? And I think anyone that has worked with me, like, knows I have an addictive personality. And if I, if I get into something, I just, I have to do it. And I can't, I'm never, I can't be satisfied if, if it's not very good. So... I look at, back at the first worship services we did, and now I look at it and say, like, oh, man, that wasn't very good. You well, know? that's the way every creator <laughs> feels about every creative thing they ever sure. did, right? Sure. And, I mean, now I look back at it and I say, like, oh, my gosh. Like, uh, but it, it, it's definitely a journey. The, uh, I guess my plug will be the SA Mass Music YouTube channel. When I go look at that channel, I kind of – you can scroll through all the thumbnails. And sometimes I just – I like seeing that. Because you kind of scroll through and it's just so many different people. There's different colors. There's different visuals. 
And now for me in that journey, like every one of those thumbnails represents a different experience. Sure. Or it represents someone's story or it represents uh, the theme of the worship service that we were trying to convey that week. And so, I don't know. I just, if I'm going to do something, I have to do it. And then I'm not really like content unless I, I think I'm doing it well. Well, and we're going to get into the some of the, the resources that you were able to avail yourself of. But one resource that you ordinarily wouldn't, would be very short on that all of a sudden you had a, a plenty was time, right? right. Uh, you know, instead of running around to all these different places, you couldn't go to the individual Salvation Army centers anymore. There were no big events to prep for. There were no events to prep for. And so now all of a sudden you have this idea um, and this sort of weekly demand, but you also have all the time in the world essentially to work on that new craft. Yeah. Um, you never would have been able to develop that on top of your full-time job. No, definitely not. So you had the time available, and I think in the early days there was it was a twofold thing. Like I still wanted and needed to be the music director, so we a lot of music directors quickly launched into. And this, I mean, it kind of went with the video stuff, but I think the whole world very quickly learned you either adapt to video conferencing and microphones and compute like you either do that or you're going to struggle and so for the music directors uh, a lot of us around the territory were were doing virtual lessons right away so i'd say i was doing about 20 lessons a week in the early part of the pandemic but then the rest of the time so the when i kind of thought that we could do this and was confident enough to make the pitch, you know, that we could do it well and it wouldn't be embarrassing. I think that's half the battle. Uh, I made like a mock worship service on my iPhone and loaded it onto my computer and then popped open iMovies. So, I mean, you're talking about like the... (laughs) <laughs> the lowest quality budget thing you could do. Well, I think I, that Microsoft Movie Maker might have okay, been yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the lower quality w- than Windows iTunes. Movie Maker. That was, yeah. Windows Movie Maker, yeah, right? that was maybe the low point. <laughs> the, the, yeah, 2003 Windows Movie Maker. Um, but I made this mock worship service on my on my cell phone, and I, I remember walking it down the hallway to the divisional commander's office, and we had set up a meeting, and I just kind of said, listen, this looks silly. Like, it's me sitting at my office, like, introducing a hymn, but this is what I think we can do. And when you mentioned the kind of the luxury of time, you know, you, uh, I'm a millennial and I feel like it's really easy to say you just, you learn things on YouTube and, but it's, it's true. I mean, like in, in this case, it's like, I didn't have any video or editing education. I didn't have like any, uh, you know, mentors that I was, that was walking me through it. I had this luxury of time, but then also the overtime, and my wife can attest to this, like, you know, I was, I was going to bed at night with my phone in my hands, like, it started out so simple, like, I was looking at the product specs on the one camera that the division had, and so I was watching product reviews about, you know, the camera can do this, and the camera can do that, but then it turned into uh, just learning about the fundamentals of, of film, and lighting, and uh, the exposure triangle and just kind of like all these things that were so brand new to me. And when I say I have like an addictive personality, once I like find or realize that I'm enjoying something, I can't like, I can't really stop. So I, I really got into it. And that, well, that, and an addictive personality plus YouTube rabbit holes. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, that's, that's a dangerous combination. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. 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 But I don't know. I just kept, I kept learning and I kept trying to find new things. And then Eventually, I did, you know, find a couple of, uh, you know, people that I would 
can not consider mentors, but people I was bouncing off of ideas off of, and so it just kind of exponentially just kept the ball kept rolling, you know. <laughs> I think if you were in this situation for another church or another organization, you might not have had access quite so quickly to some of the some of the equipment you had. So what did you actually start out with? You mentioned there was a there was a DSLR camera that could shoot video. So yeah. you, that's a, a Canon, right? Yeah. So what model were you starting out with? Well, it was a Canon 5D Mark IV. And I think even today, like what I've learned is that is such a choice camera still for like wedding photographers. And, but I quickly learned, you know, I kind of had this in my idea from the time uh, when I think you had them on the show, but Captains Jay and, and Leslie Nags, when they were here as the DYs, that's when I was first hired. And I just remember. Uh, every summer, you know, just about every single day, Camp Wonderland would put out like a recap video yep. of what the kids did that day. And my first couple of years, they had just some really talented people working on their their tech crew for the summer. And if anyone who knows, you know, Captain Jay Nags, you know, knows that, you know, whatever someone's top level is, he's five steps ahead of you, right. you know, <laughs> maybe more. And but seeing those videos, I think that was my only kind of tie to like, okay, I know the Massachusetts Division of Salvation Army has a camera, and I know it's capable of taking video, and when it's in the right and capable hands, it's very, very good, and, you know, very professional. So I knew we had it, and that's where we started, and uh, what you said is exactly right, though. Kind of in this situation where when an idea was pitched to people who believed in the idea, uh, this was a situation where uh, resources were made available, you know, to... Uh, make the product better. Uh, on the one hand, you could say that resources would normally be expended for Sunday worship um, at, at all those local, the 32 local congregations that would have church. But in a sense, Sunday worship is one of the, the cheapest products that the Salvation Army produces, right? I mean, because, because you have a lot of volunteers, the members of the congregation themselves, uh, the officers who are the ministers and the executive directors for that local branch of the Salvation Army, they're in place already. So it's not exactly like you were taking from this one budget line, which was worship, because I don't think we spend an awful lot on worship, generally speaking. But you were able to, um, you know, to upgrade that. And of course, I think everybody now understands because every 13-year-old girl has a ring light for her TikTok videos. <laughs> um, but, you know, the, the importance of a well-lit shot, the importance of, uh, as you said, every shot has, you know, has a different color to it. Yeah. Um, you also took on this new project at kind of an ideal time in terms of some of the technology that is available and out there and at a more reasonable price than it, than it once was. What does your kit look like today in terms of what you're, what you're shooting with? when you're in your studios and, and you've sort of turned a couple of different Salvation Army locations into your studios to shoot these videos, both at, a, at the divisional headquarters and then at the conference center, one million conference center that the Salvation Army has. So what's the total package look like now in terms of what you're shooting with? <laughs> well, that's definitely where my right-hand man, Captain Steve Warren, who's also a finance officer. So that, <laughs> helpful. that, that was helpful. Um, but Steve was instrumental really in the whole process from day one. Uh, Steve was always a guy where we're both creative types. And I would always say, like, I would be trying to reach for something creative. And then Steve would, like, 
go like way, way, way too creative. Like I'd say, well, what if we filmed the sermon like with the shadows in this way? And then Steve would be like, what if like during the sermon, the camera like rotated 360 degrees around the speaker? <laughs> so Steve would always like, you know, throw something out there and it was helpful because I'd be like, that sounds cool. Maybe we ran it back just a little bit, but, but in terms of equipment, um, uh, we eventually purchased a couple different cameras. One was, a, we stayed in the Canon family, but the, the EOS R, uh, which has been nice for video. And then the kind of the mothership right now is uh, we bought a cinema camera uh, that has been useful both on the go and stationary in the studio. But uh, we've picked up different soft boxes and different kind of like LED lights. And, but I guess coming with like the knowledge as that has kind of grown, uh, you know, it's changed. Like, what kind of uplighting do you want in the picture? What color do you want it to be? Are you thinking about depth of field? So, like, when we shot some some things at divisional headquarters, you know, you'd have a speaker, uh, you know, obviously close to the camera, but then you'd see stained glass in the way back, and then you'd see the holiness table in the mid back. So, you, we're trying to create interest in in the shot. I guess it came back to if it didn't look good, uh, people necessarily wouldn't want to watch. You know? And I think that original Easter worship service that was something of an inspiration for you is was filmed at like St. Paul's Cathedral in New York. It is a beautiful space, Absolutely. right? So yeah. they didn't have to yeah. do a whole lot to dress up their space. You you tend to be working in, in <laughs> rooms that are a little bit more of a blank wall. You do make good use of that uh, stained glass, which was from the old Boston Central Corps yep. in, um, in the city and, and was carried out to, uh, to Canton where the divisional headquarters is now. Um, and so that makes a nice uh, backdrop for you. And we're going to have to uh, take a little pause here. I don't know if you can hear Tucker <laughs> mowing on his bone, um, but um, he just walked into the room and dropped it and started chewing on it. So let's take care of the dog. This episode of the Creator Podcast brought to you by The Boxer and the Beard. Clever teas and gifts. Check us out on Facebook at Boxer Beard Co. That's at Boxer Beard Co. on Facebook. What was your objective when it came to worship elements taped for a purpose? You know, sermons, testimonies, worship songs, sacred dances, versus clips that you were able to, to source other places. Um, sometimes, you know, you did rely, like you said, on um, incredibly well-produced things from the New York Staff Band, sure. from Unbound, which is a, a Salvation Army uh, worship band with 37 guitarists. Um, <laughs> what, uh, you know, what were you going for in terms of that balance, I guess? For me, it was um, my boss, Major Joy Jugendheimer, was instrumental in, you know, working uh, primarily and with me to, to line up the speakers. And then she and I would work together uh, along with, you know, for a while, Major Margaret Davis was instrumental in the, the planning of these services. Uh, we were all really looking for a service where someone who started watching would be led through some sort of journey. And we tried to think of, okay, if the sermon is like the pinnacle of, of this service, and at the end of the sermon, there's a point of decision. Whatever that decision may be, how do you bring someone along that journey? Now, I really hope, <laughs> I hope and pray that when pastors are putting together church services, that's always kind of a question in people's mind. Uh, in today's age where uh, the luxury of time is just not on people's side, 
if we are coming to church, you know, what kind of journey or process are you going through to reach some sort of point of decision or what are you taking something away to do during the week? And I guess with these services, it was just whatever resource we had to use that would help usher people along in the mindset of worship. And whether that was locally produced things or if it was produced by the Eastern Territory, uh, a lot of the music for me is is based on the lyrics. Like I don't just want to throw in music uh, that's either a popular or is just the you know the feel good song or something like that. That stuff's less important to me. It's more about um, is that music working as a facilitator of the worship for that week. Because if it's not, then what's the point? Like, in the church setting, what's the point? You know, because you can make good-sounding music anywhere about anything. But in the in the setting of church and uh, and that process, what is it doing to facilitate worship of our God? And uh, so that was really important to me. And those resources, again, like you said, we kind of like all, obviously, we all hit this at the same time, and a lot of people had you know, similar ideas and, you know, nothing that I did was, you know, revolutionary or like, you know, uh, even, you know, original. Everyone was doing it. So I, I like to tell people that too. Like, I'm proud of what we did, but it wasn't, you know, so unique that it was, uh, I think. Well, I I can tell you this, my parents up in Maine, um, had access to a variety of different, uh, choices and, and, um, because they're goofy, they were like, yeah, we traveled to Liverpool, England for church this morning. Um, and they would talk about the, the Salvation Army in Liverpool and, and the quality that they were putting out. But uh, as consumers, they shopped around to a variety of different places and they landed on your worship services as the place where they wanted to be. So um, I know that, that you know you say that everybody was, was doing it, but I think that the care and concern that you put into it um, to make sure it was worthy and, and to take people on that journey. It showed for people and, and, um, and people very close to me, uh, you know, appreciated that. And our family certainly, um, you know, appreciated it, you know, here in, in this house, in that living room right over there. When it came to COVID, what did, what did it mean to you to have this creative outlet during COVID? Oh, everything. I mean, everything. I think when, when your world is shut down, I mean, this applies to everyone, but specifically to music. When you're talking about artists who thrive on being together in a rehearsal or having that, that human experience of being together and to, to experiencing music together or working towards a common goal. Again, it's not just about music, but in particular, when, when things are just no longer available to you, uh, I think you're in a dangerous place. Again, everybody was. And uh, so for me, our little, <laughs> it was funny, our little condo in Reading, Massachusetts. So we have an uh, 800 square foot uh, two bedroom condo that basically has, you know, the kitchen and the living room is the same thing. And then there's two bedrooms that are, you know, squares. And <laughs> so upstairs became, in our living room, became my studio. And I had, you know, two desks in the corner with, uh, you know, uh, multiple keyboards, video equipment, computer monitors, microphones, a cornet, a tuba, a trombone. Like, I mean, it was like 
it got crazy for a little while. And then downstairs, my wife, who is also a music teacher and plays the violin, uh, what is now our son's uh, baby room, was her violin studio. And so for a while there, this just having the creative outlet, the technology available to connect with people, I think was just so, so crucial. And eventually in the in the process of making these worship services, you eventually had to answer some questions as to, uh, you know, obviously uh, Territory Headquarters was making a worship service as well. You know, so the question became, well, you know, do they have this covered? Do we really need to make a divisional service? Right. Is, is there really a need? Yeah, and yep. then even, even underneath that, you know, the cores sometimes were doing cell phone services. And so we were, after that first month or so, the questions were like, is the need really there? And I think it came back to that human element, that human experience of there's a, I think there's a lot of value in, in something local where people uh, are familiar with those people on screen, or even if it's not like a, you know, a super strong personal relationship for someone to be able to turn it on and say, Oh, I saw her at family camp last year. Mm -hmm. Or in my case, when we started adding some of the band stuff, like, you know, a lot of people at uh, Massachusetts events, they, they won't necessarily know my name, but it's just, Oh, there's the band master. And so if I appeared on screen, it was, Oh, I saw you on the worship service last month. Or, so I just, I kept pushing for it because I think there's a lot of value. And I think we're still going to see value coming out of COVID in bridging the gap of relationship when people said, you know, there's that question, were you there for me in the worst of times? Mm -hmm. And I, I want to say that, you know, we tried and maybe we were, maybe we weren't, it's different for everyone, but I, I didn't want to like go through this and say, we didn't try to connect to our people. And well, and a lot of the front facing, a lot of the public facing elements of the Salvation Army also really can say definitively, we were there in the darkest times. I mean, there, there are communities in Massachusetts and across the country where the Salvation Army became the primary food provider yeah. for people experiencing poverty, experiencing hunger in, in the pandemic, because we were set up to do that and we were able to go in and do it quickly. What a shame it would have been if we had said that's good enough and we're not gonna gonna put the same emphasis on our our congregations, our you know our members who come uh, expecting to, to worship on a weekly basis, and 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 we have all lost you know Bible study and midweek events and you know women's groups and men's groups and stuff like that. So to to at least have that you know that spot to connect um, once a week you know was uh, was an important. I do feel like, you know, sometimes, or a lot of times, you hear uh, Salvation Army legacy stories where people will say, um, you know, they passed out the donuts in World War One to right. my great-great-grandfather, or, you know, they did this in this era, and I do wonder if down the line, uh, you know, this was the time when the Salvation Army stood up in some of the darkest of moments, and it wasn't, you know... A, a war or where people were drafted, it was all of us. Right. I mean, it was everyone. And the, the countless number of people who lost their jobs. And uh, I'd like to think that the Salvation Army made its best effort to be there. Right. You know, in multiple facets. And another 
aspect of this creative outlet for you is you are an extremely talented trombone player with the education pedigree to back it up. You lost your embouchure. So for the uninitiated, this is like an ace pitcher losing his fastball kind of overnight. Um, this is the muscle that allows you to, to play that instrument um, in the incredibly beautiful way that you do. So find, finding a, a new way to create was important for you um, because of that drastic change in your life. Kind of walk us through the, the timing on when that occurred. This was probably the spring of 2018. New York Staff Band went on a, a, a tour of Japan. And uh, to this day, it's like one of the highlights of my life, but it also marks kind of the the beginning of the end of my trombone playing. And on that tour, I, you know, I noticed something was, was off. I think whenever you can do something at a high enough level, you're very aware of what you're capable of and when things are not going well. Absolutely. And it was a situation where I didn't really understand what I was up against at first, and I tried to uh, practice my way out of it or work harder or, or figure it out on my own. And, but I also felt very isolated because in, in the musician world, I guess, you know, I was working as a freelancer in Boston and uh, pretty regularly getting hired by the Boston Pops and the Boston Symphony. And you don't want to be the first one to raise your hand and say, hey, I'm injured because that's also that's gonna be the last time you get hired right you know so at the beginning I wasn't really sure who to turn to help and I tried to fix it myself and I feel like the the harder I tried the worse it got the more it spun out of control a long story short I I do feel like I lost my ability to play and you know so that's something even to this day and I don't know that's something to this day I think about it every single day it's not something that ever that leaves me and uh, like I said earlier, with an addictive personality, when you, when you get into something, and in this case, like this is my entire adult life that I had invested uh, into playing the trombone, playing it well, but not just playing the trombone. Uh, I said earlier, like the, the, the human experience that came with playing the trombone, whether it was staff band tours or playing solos or... Uh, you know, playing Star Wars under John Williams and the Pops, like that stuff, I, you know, you feel like not many people get those opportunities. And so I'm at a point now where uh, the video stuff, again, it was an opportunity to find something else creative for me to do. And for the first time in a long time, uh, I became kind of artistically passionate about learning. And so going down those YouTube rabbit holes, learning about the products, understanding kind of the creation process, uh, it kind of reignited me uh, to be creative again and to feel whole, honestly. And uh, I don't know if I'll ever get over the brokenness of not being able to play. And I still, there, I think uh, maybe one of the more damaging things is like you just kind of have the hope somewhere that, it, that it's not quite over that like it I'll be able to play again mm -hmm. someday I'd almost like rather live without that hope because <laughs> because that hope is part of the pain uh, but for now the the video stuff I think that's where I am personally it's hard to go forward in a world where 
a lot of people say like we're going back to normal mm-hmm. uh, because the normal is different for me now. Right. So I'm a little bit. Um, I think we all found something during COVID, and if going back to normal means to not do it anymore, you know that's a tough. That's a tough thing to 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 look at. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, and it, it, it's so strange because, you know, at numerous points along the way, if somebody would have said, you can go to the grocery store without a mask on and then take your kids to a movie that night um, and, and you know, they'll be going back to, to school in their classrooms, I think all of us would have jumped at that opportunity. When it, when it has come this spring, I, I also have not been like 100% yay. Like, I, I, there, there's some stuff about slowing down in the schedule there's some you know um and and there are these things that we discovered during this time that that you're never going to get back and and i i feel like at this point maybe it's because we're headed into the summer which is a little bit more of a relaxed time frame for most people a lot of people i notice are getting their vacations in right now because they haven't been on a vacation in probably two years at this point um but the, this feeling of you know, it's, it's obviously not a switch flip. There is, you know, sort of this process we're going through. Um, but I'm like thinking about the fall and thinking, oh my gosh, are we going to be right back in that same schedule crush again? I hope we'll have learned some things and I hope that we'll, um, you know, but, but for you in terms of that creative outlet, the, de- the demand isn't there anymore. I mean, you went through even a period this spring of like, how long should we keep doing these virtual uh, worship services, and I'm part of a couple of organizations, and we're trying to figure out, okay, can we have board meetings in person again now? Should, you know, when should we be doing that? When should we start holding events again? That kind of thing. So it, it, it is on a on a different level for you. Most of the, the major Salvation Army events have been canceled for this summer, but uh, Starlight Music Camp is uh, a, a place where young people have, have come for decades to develop their brass playing skills. Uh, that is on the schedule, I understand, for this year. Yep. Um, but, yeah, that, that whole getting back to normal thing is is not, I think, what we thought it was going to be. Right. You know, if you would have asked me this date last year, you know, life would be back to normal on this date. You know, how do you feel about it? I would have been, like, jumping for joy at right, that point. Right. Um, and now I, I don't feel exactly that way. It's interesting because I think, um, you know, everyone has a different story, but I just remember in... March, April, May, June, the early months of the pandemic, like my wife and I were commenting all the time. Well, first of all, like I was home every night right? and there were no events. So I was home every weekend. And so we were just, we were taking walks every single day and we were commenting on how 10 year olds were out riding their bike in like bike packs. And it was like something that you just don't see anymore and I remember I mean that was I did when I was a kid but so the uniqueness of the time um there is part of that where and it's not a Salvation Army question it's not a Salvation Army thing like you said it's different organizations you know are we event heavy are we event driven is sometimes are we thinking too much too big you know those are questions that I think everyone's kind of assessing right now what does a new normal look like because uh, there was stuff to be gained, and um, I don't know, it, it, it'll be interesting to kind of see where we are in a year from now. 
I, well, and, and I think when it comes to in-person worship, some churches do that thing. Our congregation does that thing where, you know, a song is played and you get up and greet everybody in the sanctuary for, you know, for some period of time. I think we're going to have to add in some extra time for that. Uh, it's like soccer, you know, injury time. But we're going to have to add some extra relationship time into sure. uh, some of these live events so that people can, you know, kind of catch up with people they haven't seen in a year. That's a good thing. That's yeah. something we should be doing as the body of Christ is that kind of catching up in that relationship stuff. And, and sometimes we prioritize other things over that you know, relationship. And, and community has been a theme throughout this second season of the Creator Podcast. We thought we were going to talk to people about these great creative things, but, but a lot of people have talked about how they were seeking community or how they found community. Um, and you talked about the number of people who were engaged with, um, with these services. Talk about the, the community effort that it took, you know, the village that it took to pull this off. Um, like I said, Captain Steve Warren was my right-hand man, and Major Joy Jugenheimer was instrumental in planning the programs, and our divisional commanders at the time, Majors Dave and Margaret Davis, were, were just so supportive of the idea. And uh, But then all the people. I mean, you, you yeah, had yeah. testimonies from all over the state. You had I think sacred that, dances. You had all kinds of stuff. Yeah, that, I think that was the other side of this in terms of, I, I said it earlier, like there's a value in being local, but there's also a tremendous value in... Um, we wanted our services to be representative re- representative of the of our people in Massachusetts. And I'll actually, uh, Major Margaret Davis was just so, uh, what's the word? Uh, Adamant. Yeah, kind of championed the idea that we really need to be diverse and mm-hmm. include everyone. Right. And um, that was just such a, a great addition to the conversation because it, it's something maybe that wasn't in the forefront of of my mind or uh but to include people of different languages and who who look different and are different genders it was just uh it just felt so healthy and it felt so like this is not you know this is not one core's worship service this is not the divisional headquarters worship service this is this is all of us right and uh so like you said, uh, there was a, a massive village of people. And in the early days of the pandemic, it was, uh, you know, me writing emails to people. Hey, can you send a video in on your cell phone? And like all of those uh, horrendous traps of like, please hold your cell phone horizontally, right. not vertically. <laughs> and like, don't have a, a giant bright window behind your head. And, you know, no one really follows the directions, but uh, it was fine. It all It all turned out fine. And uh, your other big creation during COVID, as you referenced earlier, was uh, you created a life during COVID, or uh, I guess it was created prior to, but came to being. Um, So how's fatherhood treating you? We're going to end this episode right there on a bit of a cliffhanger, and we will be back next week with part two of our conversation with Matt Lunn, in which he gives a surprising answer about what was missed as an expecting father and then as a father in COVID. And we will also take the pulse with Matt. Until next week.